You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien. Brought to you by Joe. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Unfiltered. I'm James O'Brien, shortly to be joined by the man who was Deputy Prime Minister and remains one of the most interesting politicians of our age. I speak, of course, of Nick Clegg. And I'm looking forward to this for two reasons. Number one, I've, I've never got under his bonnet before, um, and, I, and I'm fascinated to know what we're going to find there. And number two, on a, on a slightly self-referential level, this is the first sort of big, in terms of the length of it, interview that I've done with a, with a politician, albeit that he's not in the House of Commons anymore, um, in quite a long time, pretty much since I stepped down from, from presenting Newsnight on the BBC so that I could carry on shooting my mouth off about Brexit and Donald Trump in, in my other work. So, so I'm keen to see whether I could remember how to do it. I have to confess, Nick Clegg, I missed your knighthood. It was only when I started swatting up, right? No, no, don't worry. It's not the most important thing in <laughs> no, the Christmas, to have happened in the Christmas holidays. Clearly, that's why, perhaps. It just yeah. sort of dropped off the radar. Has yeah. it changed your life, no, being ennobled in this fashion? Of course not. No, of course not. It, look, it, uh, no, no, it hasn't. It, I mean, I, uh, it, it's a very nice thing to have. Uh, my mum likes it. Uh, it's nice to be recognised for stuff you do, um, but it's... I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, the whole system is a bit Yes, of course. No, I, I just mentioned that because yeah. other people may not have, uh, have realised your, your new status. Um, I don't know where to start. I, 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 I mean, <laughs> it, politically, it's tempting to start with what presumably feels like a lifetime ago when everyone agreed with Nick. Oh, that's a long time ago. Yes, yes. But, but it is, in a way, when, when you found a gear that no previous Liberal Democrat leader had found for a couple of generations. Um, well, looking back on it, oddly enough, uh, I think it, the way I perhaps with hindsight view it is that there was this um, very kind of sudden, frothy, uh, slightly kind of swirly uh, enthusiasm when in fact, I'd, from my point, I was going, uh, but I haven't said anything that I haven't said for years. So, that, so as a person, you're going, uh, what's just happened? I'd, I'd, yes. And then, of course, you realise that it's a bit like catching sort of a, you know, like being in a, I don't know, this little sailboat and there's no wind. And then suddenly you get this gust of wind and you go, oh, gosh, where'd that come from? And I realised with hindsight that all I was tapping into is not anything to do with me or any innate sort of virtues on my part, was just this huge appetite for something different from what people had been, until then, of course, served up with. And in a sense, politics... It, it, one way to understand the kind of volatility of politics at the moment is that people are just casting around for mm. one hero or one heroine before they quickly discard them and move on to the next. Just anybody who can satisfy that longing for something different from the status quo. And obviously I then, in a sense, one of many respects, sort of became a part of the kind of furniture of the status quo. What, you know, what else can one expect? Uh, if you then go into government. But mm. but uh, you just see a lot of that at the moment. Yes. You know, one moment it's Farage, then it's Corbyn, then it's this, then it's just this... Trump. Very, yes, this very restless and entirely understandable appetite for... Is it, is it entirely understandable? Because the, the phrase we file it under on my radio show is it doesn't have to be this way. And yeah. and that's all that people need to hear, as you suggest, yes. because they I mean, don't I, want I, detail. I, I, in, in the case of two th the 2010 general election, I would simplify it even just down to one word. Go on. It sounds very trite, this, but I noticed when you did me, Meetings and interviews and so on. If you just simply said, uh, you know, at that time, you know, Brown and Cameron, they're the same old, same old. People want something different. It was just the word different. Yes. It was. It was. As, it was as. Now, look, I don't want to. I don't. That. I don't. That, I hope that doesn't sound either. 
oversimplifying things, but it, it, it I, I do think um, we keep being taken, people keep being taken by surprise by how strong the appetite for something different is. Yes. And um, why? That why, has where to does be it, kind why, of a good thing. Where does it come from? Why is this appetite, in the course of your political career, gone from negligible to, to definitive? Um, oh, a whole bunch of things. Um, clearly, stuff's been going on in the economy, which, which just quite. You know, totally understandably. I don't understand why they're standing still or moving backwards when they're playing by the rules. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't test this. Sure. I I strongly suspect um, I wouldn't have got that, you know, that fleeting gust of wind in my sails in 2010. I don't actually think uh, Corbyn would be held aloft by youngsters at uh, um, Glastonbury now. I actually, I'd go even further. I don't think this country would have voted for Brexit or Trump would be president of the United States if 2008 had not happened. Yes. So a whole bunch of long-term reasons, the collapse of ideology, the end of the Cold War, technology, sure. class, all that kind of stuff. But I think it is probably quite difficult to exaggerate the mm. significance of 2008 for all the reasons which you know people, a lot of people rehearsed, which is that, I mean, it, it, it was just such a... Um, Sort of collapse in the in the in the basic transmission sort of mechanism of our of our modern capitalist system, and it left a lot of people hurting and still hurting now for the longest period of time in terms of the squeeze on people's take home pay since records began, and those who were culpable, the politicians, the regulators, the bankers, you know, well, pe- yeah. yeah, people feel they got away scot free. So I, I, you know, I I don't find that bit surprising. I I, I of course would. It's quite a sort of you know, liberal Lib Demi thing to say, perhaps. But I do think on top of that, we have a uniquely unresponsive political system. And 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 um, uh, the, the risk of sort of immediately indulging in lots of sort of my, my old favourites and sort of electoral form <laughs> and House hits. Lords, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I won't, no, I won't, that's too boring. But I do, I do think one of the things that people are missing is that in America, you've got this populist eruption, Trump and so on. But actually, if in a really kind of sometimes ham-fisted, mm. erratic way, actually the mechanism of holding people to account, checks and balances, scrutiny and so on, is kind of working in Washington, whether it's the Mueller investigation into the Russian stuff, whether it's con- you know congressional standoff with the White House. In, in, in many kind of European economies where constantly clever, clever commentators would say, oh, you know, in Germany, Alternative for Deutschland's going to win. Podemos is going to win Spain. Gervilders are going to win the Netherlands. Uh, uh, What's the name? Um, Le Pen's going to win in France. Actually, mainstream politics had more life in it still. Um, We, oddly, I think, have a much more hollowed-out political system. There are no checks and balances. None. There's this rampant, unaccountable power of these old men who, this clique of old men who run or edit, you know, many of our newspapers. Yes, that, that's you, gone nuclear in oh, the it's last gone completely new- three and, or and, four and, years. And it's nowhere else the case. No. Uh, that it, it's nowhere else as, as extreme as this is now. So you've got, you've got no written constitution, you've got no checks and balances. We can have a sort of a referendum kind of like flippantly one one you know one Thursday afternoon because someone feels like it yes. no requirements on a, a particular majority the house of lords can't really challenge because they're not elected you've got the all the parties being financed in the same old way you've got all these kind of totally unrepresentative um characters with a lot of money and a lot of prejudices as well mm. um warping the debate so i do think we're quite there's all the economic stuff which people talk about, 2008, but there are also, in answer to your question, I think there's just this feeling which people can't quite pin down. Yes. But they're right to feel it, which is like, this just isn't working. The, the it's neoliberalism are... you're describing, isn't it? Um, is it? Sort of. Well, I don't think so. I, don't, I think, I, no, I don't think 
Corbyn supporters. I don't think having. I don't think having. You know, unduly or excessively powerful newspaper proprietors and editors is neoliberal. I don't think having an elected House of Lords is neoliberal. No, I was was thinking more of the idea of people... Oh, the economics. Yeah, the economic side of it. Is people not getting a return on their efforts in the way that they would have done in previous generations, which is very, very frustrating. And, of course, you haven't mentioned the refugee crisis. So if you've got the global financial crisis and the refugee crisis, that's like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, isn't it? And that that explains both sides of the Atlantic. It is completely. And I I, I often... um, I often remark on this, but I actually think, looking back on it, it's remar- it is extraordinary yeah. that 48% of people voted to remain. I couldn't agree more. There's 16.1 yeah, million people <laughs> after four decades of anti-European propaganda with yeah. every night on your telly screen yeah. pictures of these poor, poor people fleeing from Syria and you're then told by Farage and Johnson and Gove that's all yeah. the fault of the EU. Yeah. And we've been sp- told for the last 10 years that with the Greek crisis and everything, their economy over on the other side of the channel is a basket case compared to us. I think it's absolutely extraordinary that that many people voted to actually stick with what we had. 2020 is an amazing thing, isn't it? But I, I, I agree with you. It is, especially if you read Tim Shipman's book, All Out War. When I haven't read at, it. But oh, you must. I mean, it really is It's superb. And, and you you end it wondering how they got one vote. <laughs> yes, apart, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart from you. Being a nailed on. Being a nailed on. Nailed on votes. Nobody else. I wasn't even, I didn't have strong views on it until it actually happened. I've been on very strong views before. Well, clearly you did because you were a European politician before anybody in this country really knew that we had European but, well, politicians. in one sense. Well, in one sense, of course, I literally was, because I was an mm. MEP That's what for I mean. five years. Yes. Oh, right, yeah, 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 that was the very beginning of your career. Yeah. People may not realise this. Yeah, so, no, I was a Euro MP. Check, for... Checking the dates, you, you were barely out of short trousers when you arrived in, in the European Parliament. Well, I'm 51 now, and I, I got elected in uh, 99, so I was 32. Yeah. Is that really that? Yeah, I guess not. I mean, it, it would have been a f- well? fresh-faced was... on the domestic political scene. Oh, yeah. But, but you could go to Strasbourg and cut your teeth without coming to Yeah, you, you, Oh, yeah, it's a much scrutiny. more... Scrutiny. Oh, it's a much more... Why did you gen- want to be a, your, a, an MEP? So, so, so um, I had been a... Uh, I had worked for a couple of years. Uh, no, actually more than that, four or five years, for mm. the European Commission. Right. And latterly, I'd worked for Leon Britton, who was the then vice president of the European Commission, and he dealt with trade stuff. And I was not, I stress, I wasn't working with him as a sort of conservative uh, psychic. I was a, I was, a, I was a geek. I was a, I was a technocrat. I was, mm. I was immersed in the, all these trade negotiations. One of those experts. Now, well, you know, <laughs> wash your mouth out. Uh, uh, how dare you? Um, but, but but where did you develop the enthusiasm? Because most people for what. For, for the European political um, landscape. It was well, quite an odd thing for a, for a 30-something Brit to have fermented. How do you think? Well, I, you, so, well, Leon Britton would be a better example. It's something you did after a Westminster career. Well, um, firstly, I, I, you know, we all, we're all shaped by our own families, our own backgrounds and so on. And I have, you know, but I'm sort of condemned to be, uh, in a sense, interested in... Europe as a kind of wider place. My mum's Dutch, my dad's half Russian, my, you know, my, my parents, both their families were very affected, as many families were, by the kind of wars and all the right. rest of it. And um, my mum spent her formative years in a Japanese prisoner of war camp and my Russian grandmother, she settled in in Putney, having sort of fled from Petersburg to Berlin to the, you know. And so I grew up, and I, you know, we didn't sit around mournfully talking about this stuff. It, no, it was a very boisterous, cheerful family. But you do kind of just pick up imperceptibly as a kid that... That 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 there's something quite unusual about about um, having peace rather than war. Yeah. That, that Britain is particularly attractive because it's got this long, uninterrupted, uninterrupted tradition of 
fair play and, you know, parliamentary representative democracy and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I kind of took all those kind of values that, like, kind of it's a just like a good thing for us to do stuff together rather than mm. each other's throats. I took that intuitively, kind of, yeah, I took it to heart, really. Um, and then, uh, remember, I don't know how, I don't even know how, how old are you? 46, five okay, years younger so, than you. But, but, well, I think, I'm sure it'll apply to you. The most important moment for me growing up was the collapse of the Berlin Wall, mm. well, undoubtedly. And it remains for my generation, I think, so I'm in my early 50s, the, the, the seminal moment, because I'd grown up as a kid. Actually, at times, I was personally and I'm quite anxious, as I think many people were, about the spectre of nuclear conflict. And I remember I had this eccentric history teacher who told us we were all going to be burnt to a crisp by Soviet nukes by Christmas. and But there was this real sense in the kind of 70s and 80s, yes. there's you know, there this real spectre hanging over us all. And suddenly all that went. And suddenly, you know, Germans could talk to each other across... We had been, there had been a wall and there was this amazing... So far from being a fuddy-duddy thing to kind of want to jump on board that European journey, it was actually a very, for me, yeah. one of great excitement yes. and possibility. You know, you're, you're allowing all these countries that have been under, you know, behind the Soviet curtain, just mention the word Soviet curtain. I had this whole image in my head of this metal thing and you couldn't peer through it. Course, and yes. suddenly it had been lifted. And so I actually know far from it, I was really kind of buoyed up by this idea of, oh, wow... We can kind of do things together in a in a place, a cluttered, you know, patchwork sure. continent of ours, which before we couldn't. So I was I was I was always quite buoyed up by that. And, and you describe it, it. I mean, two things occurred to me. The first is it, it's a completely natural position that you've just described, but also that it's quite a rare one. That that was really what I was alluding to. The the, the is notion. It? Yeah. Well, that level of enthusiasm it possibly explains some of what we were saying about the the miracle of the Remain campaign getting any votes, because yeah. because the idea of it being something to celebrate rather yeah. than tolerate, which was probably the closest yeah. you could come to typifying the Remain yeah. position, is I, I, hadn't, I did an A-level in politics in 1990, and yeah. I've never come across that sort of enthusiasm before. Uh, the only thing I would say is, uh, um, uh, in as much as clearly, boy, have I found this out, both <laughs> the, the, to my benefit and often to my cost. I mean, the, the, the heart is a much more powerful organ than the mm. brain when it comes to voting and politics and stuff. <laughs> we, we, you know, we are intensely emotional beings, however much we might pretend otherwise. And um, I do think the, emotion, the emotional attachment yes. to the European thing uh, is just clearly uh, has shallower roots yes. in our country. For, for, you know, we didn't, we went on the losing side of the war. Uh, um, you know, if I look at my, my mum's Dutch, so yeah. her, for her, particularly for her generation, she's in her 80s now, but for her and for anyone in those founding member states. Yes. Benelux. This, this was the future. This it was, was peace. Yes. It was above all. It was peace. After centuries. After these, uh, this blood-drenched yes. century. I mean, twice in a few decades, millions and millions of people being slaughtered. I mean, it, I, I, think we, I think it's amazing how quickly we've forgotten what that does to the collective psyche yes. of the place. Um, my, my wife is Spanish. She speaks to Spaniards, Portuguese, the Greeks in particular. For them... It was like, oh wow, we're now at the top table of democracies, having shared fascism. Yeah, so that was, so was an emotional. Yes. If you're from Central Eastern Europe, it's kind of freedom after Soviet communism. These were all really powerfully positive emotions coming to your point. Yes. Here, nothing. It was never positively. It was never emotionally kind of uh, believed and entrenched in people's hearts. So, I mean, I've obviously was too young. I was whatever, it's seven or something, seven mm. eight when the first referendum happened in the mid-70s. But if you read accounts of it, it was all about, you know, would New Zealand butter be a few pence more? Yeah. Expect 
And we did it again in yeah. 2016. We again talked about this big, I think, quite big ideological, historical issue as if it is if it is if we need to do is take a pocket calculator out mm. in your local supermarket and work out what the cost and benefit of it is so in a strange kind of way you're right we've never as a community i think had that same visceral emotional attachment um, related to our own identity as, easy, as other countries do it's easy to see why when, when you put it like that it's, it's going to be the Joni mitchell lyric isn't it is that you don't know what you've got till it's gone yeah that might be the That's uh, for sure. but we shall see we'll, we'll go on to that when did you first frame an ambition to become a politician then um i didn't have a sort of hallelujah moment i was um i was always interested in politics in fact we just touched on it for some of the reasons um the european thing as, as we just talked about was always kind of there. But, I mean, I remember going once to a, a student debate. I was at, I was an undergraduate at Cambridge University. And so this was in the mid-'80s. It was the height of the Thatcher Revolution. And it was just like, oh, it was awful. I'll never forget it. It was all these red-faced boys and girls in pearls and dinner jackets and screaming all these raging certainties at each other. And I was like any, any other student. I had many more questions than I did about answers. And I just completely fled. So I was not, I was not remotely interested in party politics. Um... I, to be fair to him, I mean, uh, I'm not sure if he'll welcome this. I think he will. Uh, but uh, Paddy Ashton had a big impact on me. I remember okay. him, he took this stand on something which now seems remarkably obscure and remote about whether folk from Hong Kong should have rights to British passports. Uh, yeah, after the exit. And it was a very unpopular thing to say, you know, as we're quitting Hong Kong. He was sort of saying, well, of course, we have a moral duty to... As he, by the way, is still saying we have yes. a moral duty to Afghan interpreters, for instance. And it just, I remember, it, it, for some reason, it caught my attention. I thought, oh, right, no one else is saying that. And, oh, he's sort of standing out from the crowd. So I remember that. Leon Britton, a Tory, I'll yes. never forget. Um, uh, I used to constantly speak out of turn because I was supposed to sort of give him basically sort of civil service advice. And this was at the time when he and other people were being absolutely savaged by the right-wing press. I mean, very strong echoes to today yes, cool. for being pro-European Tories. This would be the up-yours, Delors sort of All era. And, there, and, yeah. there was, and, there were, there, and in some papers... Uh, very you know, there, there was Well, there were... Th I remember this dis distinctly. There was stuff verging on, I thought, the anti-Semitic. Yes. Um, and the way he was portrayed. Um, um, and... Um, Anyway, uh, and I constantly would comment on it. I said, oh, this is ridiculous, that's ridiculous. I remember him once turning to me, quite actually impatiently, said, look, instead of constantly going on about what you think's wrong with British policy, why don't you just go and, you know, go and, you know, get, yeah. your, get your hands dirty and go into it yourself? And I remember I was uncharacteristically stumped for words because I just, <laughs> I just had never occurred to me that that species of people, politicians, yes. there's no doubt how people look at me now, that I had anything to do with them. I just right. thought that was a different planet. Yes. And so it was the first time someone said, well, you know, why don't you just get off your ass and do it? And from that, you know, that that sort of sowed the seed in many ways. And then, and then I remember some time later telling him that I wanted to try to stand for the Lib Dems somewhere. <laughs> I remember him saying, a bit sort of dismissively, sort of, saying, "Oh, the Lib Dems, you can't. It's like that's like standing for an NGO." <laughs> and I sort of said, very defensive, "No, it's not." Uh, they're saying good things, um, as indeed I think they were and are. But um, so that that that's the slightly haphazard journey. It's not. I can't pretend I had a. Well, it's healthier, isn't it, than than having formed a desire at... Well, how old was William Hague at the Conservative Yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah, no, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't... I remember you said earlier, maybe I started relatively early, but, but in my early 30s, 
in a lecture. But as a natural progression rather than a career it, goal, rather than a box-ticking exercise. Certainly looking back, it slightly sort of crept up on me. Yeah. It was not some preordained well, plan. And it certainly wasn't some Damascene conversion. And as I say, I, I'm really... I, I do, this I do remember very distinctly, and it's quite important because I just hope anyone listening to this who might, you know, a youngster who's thinking, should I go into politics... Mm. Funny enough, the most difficult thing of all is to believe you can do it. Just to believe that, you know, you're as entitled as anybody else. And by the way, if if that was a barrier for me, mm. having gone to a public school, Oxbridge and West, yes. you know, the, sen- the, the kind of leap into this weird hammer beam, sort of Harry Potter world of Westminster yes, must of seem even more, um, even more kind of, alien. Uh, yeah, alien to others. So I, d- I do think that's quite important that, you know, it's not, it's the not notion of world. accessibility. I, uh, Jess Phillips said something interesting recently. I think it was Jess Phillips about the thickness of skin that's now required. Yeah. Because this worries me a lot. Yeah. The the the, the right. passage you've just described sounds almost idyllic in that you can be inspired by yeah. established politicians. You can even have the enjoy yeah. the patronage of them if, if yeah. as you if, suggest, as I was lucky enough. Yeah. You, you you were, but you didn't feel that simply putting your hand up politically was painting an enormous target. No, it has back. got. It has got. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you measure it. And I, I'm not. I'm not probably the best person to ask for an objective assessment. But you know, because I, I, I'm no doubt people would say I brought it on them myself in many respects. But you know, I, I experienced just this constant day in. I mean, for half a decade, just being torn limb from limb from right and left. And it that, just that was off. an odd position to be in because from one or the other, yes, is, what, is well, commonplace. I'd, yes, well, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather, yes, I <laughs> wish it had been either one or the other. It's where you know where you get Polly Toynbee and Paul Dacre who both um, yes. hate you with equal vehemence. You know you're in trouble. <laughs> it's from completely different ideological perspectives. Um, <laughs> Never thought of it. Um, yeah, you, you know, you know, wish that on and, and, so, and it has got, and it, for all the reasons that we don't need to, you know, people are familiar with the social media, the polarization of politics, but something has gone a bit. Uh, something has got a bit. It's just become so intemperate, so vituperative, so vi- and people say stuff. Yes, and it's I, I think it's I always think psychologically it's like road rage when yes. people say stuff, feel stuff, mm. splutter stuff behind the wheel, and indeed of course behind a keyboard that you would never ever say to another human being. Um, I remember, um, and boy, have I received my fair share of kind of, you know, um, bile from... from. But I remember, um, and I don't want to... I'm sure he didn't. maybe didn't know what he was saying. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice bloke, I didn't know him. But I remember there was a, a Labour MP when I was in, 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 in coalition, and obviously the, the whole Labour narrative was all, you know, how dare you, you Judas Iscariot, you've sold out, all that kind of... Uh, and I remember him... This was Barry Gardner, and he was yeah. like... Red, and he, he almost spat out across the, across the commons. I remember saying... Uh, you are a quizzling. And I thought, does he know what that means? Mm. That is a Nazi collaborator. Yes, yes. And I thought, and I, and I thought maybe he just doesn't know what it means. But um, it, it, it has, you know, it has got to the point where people, here's the thing, I don't think people feel they need to worry anymore about the words they use. You, you, you know, you, mm. it's, it's become, it's a, it's a funny environment because on really the one is. hand, people are becoming more sensitive about words to do with race, gender, this disability. This is the dichotomy so, of so in our time, we've become, we've become semantically more sensitive and yes. some would argue almost neurotic. Yes. And on the other hand, we'll say stuff Anything about goes. fellow human beings. Yes. And of course what happens in politics, and this this I think you just have to accept, and this was always the case. I don't want to, I don't think, it, I think it would be false to, you do, the moment you put yourself, you know, for public... And I accept, by the way, I strongly believe you should just accept this as comes par for the course. You're very quickly turned into something else. I mean, you are very quickly turned into a caricature of yourself. And I remember 
And that's, I think that you just have to expect that because, of course, in politics, people deal in caricatures. And I remember when I was being, in a sense, caricatured by the left as mm. a sort of, you know, unprincipled uh, weakling who'd sold out his progressive principles to just, you know, to get a sort of whiff of power. And then mm. the right sort of saying, you know, this perfidious, ghastly Lib Dem, how, you know, got no right to sort of have his foot in the door in power. And you see these, 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 um, the same adjectives being uh, ascribed to you. And you get this almost cardboard cutout. Yes. Character in the beginning, you're still thinking, oh, surely no one's going to believe that. And then you realise that that's, yes. to all intents and purposes, what you are to people. I, I think that's just the nature of the business, I think, because you just have to... But the way it's done, yeah, it has become... It's hard to see a way back as well. I d yeah. Well, yeah, and, I, and, and funny enough, if I have any, I have many, many regrets. If there's one regret I have, I'm not sure if I, it would have done me much good, but I wish I'd... I wish I had... I wish I had answered fire with fire more. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I wish I had. I, 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 that, that's and it, you know because if you're in government in particular, you're trying to focus on the day job. You can't spend all your life answering to you know whatever mm. Owen Jones on the left or Paul Dacre on the right. You can't. No. It's just a waste of time. And also, you're advised by all. Let's keep people, your head down. Yeah, well, you're advised by folk quite understandably who's their job, who sort of say, look, don't answer back because they can. Yeah. They can slap your ugly mug on the front page of their newspaper and shove it through millions of people's, you know, uh, letterboxes tomorrow. And you just can't. It'll stick. And it'll go. Yeah, I, I must say, with hindsight, I wish I'd. I, I would advise anyone who ends up like <clears throat> you know, in a sort of position analogous to yes. mine, where you really do, you really are getting it in the neck. If you think you've got a really good, you know, if you think it's really just going beyond the pale, don't don't, don't stoically hold back because actually, all that happens is that is that they're they're, they're their bile goes unanswered, and um, so I, so I, Corbyn looks like he might break that model for for all his yeah. Well, until flaws. he gets into government, sure, and then and then he until might he be gets too. into government, I mean, I I'm still I'm an if, isn't it? Not an until. I think it's an if. Yeah, well, I think it's a, well, actually, on that, on that, by the way, parenthetically, I think it's a big if. I personally, yeah, right. can I just, I'm not a sophologist, sure. and I should stress that pretty well every political prediction I made for the last 10 years proved to be wrong. So this one, no doubt, will be wrong as well. But having said all of that, all yeah. those caveats notwithstanding, I think if the Labour Party is basically still at level pegging with this truly the most incompetent, mm. hopeless government in the modern era, uh, if the British public still tell pollsters they think Theresa May is a more preferable Prime Minister than Jeremy Corbyn, you really have to ask yourself, yes. how, where are the votes going to come from to, mm. put, to effortlessly waft um, Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell in number 10? That's my hunch, but I personally can't see where they get extra votes from, from what they got No, last. it's a bit chicken and egg, though, isn't it? Because the media climate you describe yes. is, is never going to allow any movement for the Corbyn-McDonald model, no. rightly or wrongly. They're going to be typified times ten, what you described, yeah. when they're caricatured and when they're turned into yeah. hooks upon which to hang preconceptions and prejudices. Yeah. It's, it's going to be like nothing we've, that's we've true. ever seen before. But, it, but they've got their troops, that's the thing. Yes. And, um, and, 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 and you know... All, that's and where the Trump parallel works, yeah. isn't it? Because Yeah, so which I had no troops. And no. that was, again, probably my... I just had no Foot troops soldiers. at all. Well, uh, well, also, I just had no, I just had no, I just had no, and again, I'm, I'm not, not sort of, this is not, I'm not being well, mawkish about it. this is just a fact. Yeah. I had no, um, if you don't have anybody on your side who's prepared to kind of spill some ink <laughs> on a newspaper to <laughs> defend you, yes. no one is prepared to spell, tell your side of the story, don't be surprised after half a decade that people, you know, believe the stuff that's written, because, and so that, that's the, that's the bit I wish, you know, if I ever, if I were to do it again, which I won't, 
I think sure? longer and hard. Very young. It's, I mean, it's nah, a... no, you can't. You can't. You can't reheat old coffee. I don't think. But anyway, um, uh, well, you can, of course, technically. Mm. But you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> it's just what you're drinking. <laughs> um, uh, no, no. The, the, I, I, so, in a sense, what you've got at the moment with the polarisation of politics is, yes, of course, the right. You know, the Express, the Mail, and all the rest of it will will caricature Corbyn in whatever way they seek to. But he he does at least have. You know, he's got he's got his yes. momentum troops. He's got. And he's got a very strong social media. He's got social media stuff. In a sense, one of the things that I stumbled into, as much as by accident as by design, was into an absolute maelstrom of criticism um, with no means, really, of kind of trying to put... Yes, I've never thought of it like that. And that's... You're just on to it. it You're hiding for nothing. Did it hit you hard and quickly, or was it a dawning Um, realisation? Yeah, it was pretty quick. I thought it would be. But listen, I I can't stress enough... Because you want to be liked, don't you? You're not one of these... Um, Well, you do a bit. It's clear even in this context. You're not one of those politicians. You're not like Anne Widdicombe. No. uh, Somebody who almost relishes... Alienating. No, no, no. I don't write relish. No, no. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I am by nature. I don't think my mates would call me someone who's sort of naturally belligerent. No, 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 no. no. I, I, and I'm gregarious and so yes. on. I don't think I've got a sort of. I think I've certainly been long. I'm long in the tooth enough now not to. No, I don't sort of hanker. For, I don't mean for, that you're needy. But, I, I just mean that it, it must have. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't go out of my way to. I don't go out of my way to. No, no. So, but here's a very good thing. So, so, um, uh, it was a legitimate and remains a legitimate yes. source of controversy about whether the savings in public spending yes. that my government, that the coalition government started introducing from autumn of 2010 onwards, you know, was it a was it a necessary step? Did it go over the top? Or was it some ideological assault on all the vulnerable, you know, the vulnerable and the poor and so on? Um, and that is a totally legitimate kind of, you know, totally legitimate debate. I, of course, have my views, uh, you know, as it happened. Anyway, never mind. But... Uh, um, uh, but I did find quite quickly after we started unveiling these very big agonising decisions about public spending that you just, I just, I'd, I'd lost the ability to kind of te- tell the side of the story of that that I yes. thought was was worth telling, and that was a mistake. Lost it? How? Because you... well, just didn't, just didn't, just found that I just didn't have the either the wherewithal or the or, or, the, or the means to. Uh, provide a a story of what we were doing, which wasn't okay. just. Which, by the way, this again. You mean totally a distinctly dem- liberal Democrat? Yeah, because because quite understandably, account. the main messenger is Prime Minister in charge. Chancellor, in case. yes. Um, so it became incredibly easy to just sort of impose a caricature. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know. and so you became the patsy then, in a way. On the, on the narrative side of the story, it became. Hey, look, I think now the facts, in a sense, speak louder now with hindsight than they did at the time. I mean, as it happens, yeah, but they don't flatter you, do they? Because it would appear that the Conservative Party now has abandoned the argument that this that austerity was a necessity, because they haven't fixed as much stuff as they said they were going to. They haven't introduce as many improvements as they said they were going to. And now, without the Liberal Democrats in the passenger seat, they're pursuing policies that, well, I mean, they're, they're not austerity anymore. And yet the well, project that austerity was supposed to address remained. Well, here's, here herein lies a lot of different threads which can all get very mangled. Of course. Um, here's a fact. Yeah. So let's just start with the fact. The, 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 the reduction in the deficit during the five years of the coalition was less than planned by Gordon Brown and Alistair Darling. Not only right. planned, they legislated for it. They legislated to slash yes. the de- deficit in half in four years. We did it over a longer period of time, not least, by the way, because of 
decisions I took to to stop Osborne and the Treasury going further. Mm. So the caricature of this yeah, sort of you know enough. red in tooth and claw austerity was always wrong. Well, it's partly uh, about where the savings were going yes, to come now that, from. That, now that is a totally legitimate yeah. issue. That is a totally legitimate issue. And um, uh, now again, the facts kind of show that we try to do it as progressively as possible. In other words, you know, the top 1% were paying much more tax under us than they ever did under 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 Labour. The top 20% paid more than the mm. remaining 80% combined. In fact, income inequality was less at the end of the coalition than it was um, at the end of, of Labour, not least because of these big tax changes we drove through in terms of raising the point at which you start paying income tax. So I believe... Not that all the... I think some of the welfare changes were ones that, you know, I would never do on my own. But again, you know, if you look what's happened since then, the Institute for Fiscal Studies and other people say, it's them saying it, not me, that the things that are really regressive on welfare are these. Is this huge chunk of £12 billion of welfare cuts which are being introduced now to <coughs> working age welfare, mm. uh, which which we blocked at the time. Anyway, look, I won't, I won't, I won't get no, into you all You do the... this a lot, Nick Clegg. You... you, 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 you sort of go down quite substantive routes and then almost pull yourself back for fear of being boring or no, for fear no, of... No, 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 because for fear of losing people. Because right. the, 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 okay. these, are, these are sort of illust- illustrative this points. This is the wonky stuff. This is back to no, your first days it's, in Strasbourg. It's, a, it's, a, it's evidence of a, of a much simpler assertion, okay. that, uh, which was... We're going down various tributaries now. Yes. Which is where I'm trying to illustrate with hindsight that, I've, that, that once you lose a story... Yes. Once you lose an explanation of... What came before, what you're doing, and what future you're trying to go for. Once you lose that story, you'll lose people. You'll, yeah, lose, you'll lose support. Yeah, okay. and, and, and when you lose the capacity to tell that story, and I, in a sense, well, I, was, well, I, yeah. I pulled back from all the facts and, <laughs> and, and, and statistics is because they are just there to illustrate that I felt that it was a legitimate story which could have been well told. Since it wasn't told at all, um, it was yes. no wonder, in a, in a sense, that the, the, the story that, that was told instead was one which um which i don't think kind of did justice to what was going on there's that there's that anecdote about william Hague. i, I don't know where it had its source or, or how true it is that he went home after the coalition agreement had been put together and told his wife that he he, he thought they might just have finished off the liberal democrats you know? yes i read that yeah d- 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 does that i mean how, how does that chime with your memories um of Oh, certainly not at the time. I mean, look, we have... There's a real issue, which is that I don't think anybody... I mean, Joschka Fischer did it for a brief time in Germany as a junior coalition partner right. in the government then, and Jim Wallace, actually, in the first coalition government in Scotland with Donald Dewar. Yes. They kind of survived. Other than that, you will not find a single example anywhere, anywhere, of a junior coalition partner... Who doesn't get completely mashed up? And it's just I. But you knew this when you signed well, up for it. Well, I perhaps I didn't know it quite with the force <laughs> that I. And then you don't, don't, don't listen. It was a gamble. It was yeah. a massive gamble. What were your choices in 2010? Well, I mean, genuinely. So, so, the, so the choice was either no government at all, yeah. or a government with the Tories. You'd never have thrown your lot in with with the Labour. Still, was there still would have been a parliamentary majority? No. Oh, wouldn't there? My mistake. No, no, no. Eleven okay. seats short. So it would have been another election. Or... So it'd have been another election. There would have been turmoil. Blah blah blah. So it was. It was. Um, it was a much more. I mean, no. I, it's funny you should say that. So I was at a, doing a, an event at um, the university here in London the mm. other day, and a young angry sort of lefty sort of said, to me, "Oh, you know, all this ghastly stuff that's now happened. It wouldn't have happened if you'd chosen 
to go into coalition with Gordon Brown. I said, look, I didn't sit around plucking petals from a daisy saying, is it Gordon, is it Dave? <laughs> it, there, was no, there was no arithmetical majority which could right. sustain a Liberal Democrat Labour majority. As I kept telling, telling Gordon Brown, he kept coming up with all these arcane Well, that's where it comes from. Yeah. My mistake yeah, yeah. comes from the fact that Gordon Brown yeah. thought no, it was Gordon, plausible. Gordon, you, should, you should get him onto your podcast. He, yes. He's got this whole story idea. in his head that somehow he was cheated out of. He lost the pleading election. Yes, that wasn't my doing. No, there's it no the dressing that up, is there? And there's, no, and there's certainly no dressing up the maths. They just, no. I'm afraid, it's an irrefutable fact that there was not a Lib Dem Labour so majority. Why, 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 so, yeah. so it was about, do you go into government at all or not? And um, I, I mean, lots of things. I, I think the thing that probably people have now forgotten is how uh, sort of economically and socially fragile the country felt in the spring of 2010. Uh, and I think it's difficult for folk who don't remember that to, to kind of really kind of immerse yourself in an atmosphere of real yes. a real sense of it were teetering on the edge of a cliff and you know I remember the election was on the Thursday and Alistair Darling rushed off on the Sunday to an emergency a European Economic Finance Minister's meeting and there were demonstrations and yeah, riots on right, the streets yeah. of Athens and cars burning you know, on pictures on our television screen and we had the you know the, the most oversized banking system mm. as a as, as a sort of relative to the size of our economy, pretty well anywhere in the developed world, we had the biggest peacetime deficit ever. There was real fee. You know, I had people like Mervyn King and others ringing me saying, "Please form a government, otherwise the stability, the bond markets are going to massacre us." So I, I think I I can't prove this to you, but I suspect of the many ingredients that led to the formation of the coalition, the sense that we just couldn't afford several more months of faffing around politically was very, very strong indeed. Had you contemplated the word coalition before that result came in? It, 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 it didn't... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, no, you had thought... Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Because you do the maths and you think, well, oh, this yeah, yeah, could no, no, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd always uh, expected that if the Lib Dems uh, at that time were going to have a crack at government, it was probably going to be the election after 2010. Right. Because I couldn't have predicted this, this kind of, uh, um, you know, whatever, we got 24% mm. of the vote. You know, got more people voting for us in 2010 than at any time since the party was formed. And of course, I couldn't have predicted that. But I got, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science. No, of course, everyone knew that it could happen. So I asked a bunch of people: um, Danny Alexander, David Laws, Andrew Stunnell, Chris Hune, to kind of for months beforehand to kind of. Okay. Sort of do, do without some, knowing which one it would be yeah, with, literally to kind of map out what what you know what modelling as yeah, it were or yeah. uh, economic what impact, war gaming, impact analysis. That sounds all much more, much more military and organised than it was. <laughs> but Just it the Dems, after all, but yeah. it happened, and it meant you had a degree of readiness that yeah. that, that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Um, and and now, I mean, two things: the 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 the, the party's performance nationally, despite the Brexit. Mm. Policy and and you losing your seat in Sheffield. Um, yeah, well, that's that, that that is the turnaround, isn't it, for both the party's fortunes and your personal political fortunes? Yeah, I mean, funny enough, I'm rather sort of sanguine about. I mean, you lose your. I mean, you you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yes. I kind of like. I've never, I think I we never... forget on Civvy Street how many elections you lot fight and everyone in a... Sh a seat like Sheffield yeah. Hallam is safe-ish in, in some context, but it's not one of those nah. ones where they weigh the vote. There's nah. no real constituency where you weigh the Lib Dem There's no such thing as a Lib Dem Exactly. So that, and, that and also don't go into politics sanguine. if you think you're going to sort of... I mean, obviously it's easier for Labour and... If a Labour and Conservative careerist, they can, if they can find the right seat, they yes. basically know they've got a sort of job for life. You, yes. can, you can stick a blue rosette on a, you know, on a pig in large parts of the country and, or indeed on a, a red rosette and, and they'll be returned. It's just not the case in the kind of party no. that I chose. So, I, 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 oddly enough, I, 
I don't want to sound blasé about it, but no, you, you know the cookie crumbles in the way that it does. And, and ironically enough, because in as much as anyone cared to comment about the election last year, the kind of immediate ready mm. uh, explanation was, ah, that's the students, you know, taking out their revenge for. Actually, what happened was was something quite quite different. Was the Labour vote went up a bit, not mm. much. Lib Dem vote went down a bit, not much. Is the Conservative vote doubled in Sheffield Hallam? And, and this was lots of people, and they told me on the doorstep. Yeah. I remember distinctly having a conversation with a very nice lady in a very neat, just outside a very neat bungalow, a perfectly yes. manicured lawn in a very nice part of southwest Sheffield. And I remember the moment thinking, oh, God, that doesn't, that's not great. And she's cheerfully greeted me. Hello, Nick, how are you? Thank you for everything you're doing. I remember saying, for, to resurface our roads and pavements here, it's marvellous, dear. <laughs> but I'm not going to vote for you this time. Oh, I said, oh, Mrs. Miggins, whatever. And they were, oh, right, well, why? Well, I think you're just... And I remember her saying, you're just being beastly to Theresa about uh, Brexit. Gosh. Beastly to Theresa, I remember saying. I said, well, yeah, but uh, but please, don't you know, there won't be a next time if you vote. And, she said, and then and she said, oh, come on, dear, of course you'll still win. Oh, and I remember so thinking... So this was, this was the human Brexit. Is all these votes well, that were cast the, to make a point it, we're not, like without it, expecting it to be the result? Most closely fought seats in this country are often decided by people who have a natural affiliation to one party saying, yeah. I'll go for the devil I Just know or the now. one I least dislike, yes. you know, tactical, what they call tactical voting in the jargon. And someone like me had clearly sustained a majority over several elections, mm. in part by persuading Conservative voters that I was a preferable MP, though not ideal from their point of view, sure, than the Labour. Labour alternative. And I think because I've, in a sense, have been doing it for 12 years, they probably thought, oh, well, you know, right. it'll carry on anyway. And then I obviously pissed them off about the sort of my stance on Brexit. So I kind of thought, well, there's not much I can do about that. So you know, there you go. But what about the party? Do you understand why the party's I performing so I do a bit. So I do a bit, actually. So I forgot it. that you were, you, you were the filling in a Vince Cable sandwich, effectively. Tim Farron being the sort of gherkin. But he was the acting leader before you took over. And, yes. and he's, he's the leader again now. And the party yeah. is... You can say it's in the doldrums, can't, can't one? Well, it, it, the party seems to be st stuck on... I mean, look... Um, First, I think, uh, much though I'm very passionate about this Brexit issue, I think it's important not to confuse one's own passions yes. with that of most normal human beings. There are a chunk of people who care passionately about in favour of Brexit, a chunk of people who care about it passionately against. The other way, the vast majority of the most important people of all, mm. kind of swing voters, mm. just, I mean... They're a know, bit ambivalent. They're it, it ambivalent, is what it is. or they, you know, they're they probably. Are. I've certainly met a lot of people who just say, "Well, I'm Get a bit it. irritated being asked about it in the first place." Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of them are developing reservations about it and doubts about it and qualms about it, but it's not top of their list of concerns. Well, what, what did you think immediately? You heard that your former colleague, who David Cameron, was calling this. I mean, I know it was in the manifesto, but the, well, you could have kicked it down. The well, road there was a bit, a bit of a history about that because, of course, he kept going on about it when we were in in coalition together, and and and, and even fleetingly at one point, sort of tried to interest me in you know, could we do this together? You know, uh, as, a, as a coalition government, to which I said, no, uh, not your Nelly. I'm yeah. not. It's not my job to sort of sort out your internal party yes. problems. Um, Great job, and done and, and then he and then he gave this this speech. You know, do, um, do you remember this? this ridiculous. Week after week, there was endless drum roll in the press. Is he going to give a speech? Mm. He's not going to give a speech. He went on. Eventually, gave this speech, made this commitment to a referendum if he re was returned as a as a sort of conservative only prime minister. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, I so said, "What he's he's locked himself in now. There's yeah. no way. There's no way out of that." And funny enough, I. Whilst, of course, it became increasingly 
implausible as the election wore on. Um, there was quite an expectation at the beginning of this is now going back to 2015 general yeah. election, that there might be another repeat of the coalition. In other words, the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives might have to... And the Independent came out for that, didn't they? One of the newspapers Yeah, and always kind of start. And, um, and I remember on the eve of the election having a... Uh, pizza at David Laws's house with him, with David and Danny Alexander. David, Danny and I were very close. We've worked mm. very together. We've been through a lot in the sort of trenches in Whitehall together. And I remember Danny and David sort of speculating about, you know, if we returned X number of MPs, which of course in the event we didn't, and the Conservatives were to rely on our support, what would we kind of, you know, could we, uh, there was even, I remember, talk, talk over the pizza and beer, you know, could we, uh, could the Liberal Democrats demand control of the Treasury and the Chancellorship if they were going to, if they were going to demand um, uh, a referendum on on uh, our membership of the European Union? Mm. And I remember sort of listening to David and Danny and then saying to them, look, I, I just can't, it's got, I can't do this. I mean, I just can't remote. I, you're going to have to find someone else. If, if, you if couldn't have led a party I, into I, coalition I with a government giving a referendum. I personally, I remember very distinctly uh, thinking and saying, feeling and saying to them, I said, look, I, I don't know how the cookie's going to crumble, but I personally right. just cannot do anything which would risk us, be, be, be a co-author of something which might lead us to leaving the European Union. Because I'd, I'd, I'd had such a, I, you know, I'd seen the absurd way the Conservative Party deals with yes. Europe. I mean, it, it, this crazy kind of psychodrama constantly, this paranoia, this vitriol, this vituperation, this bonkers way that they portray Europeans mm. as sort of ghastly, perfidious foreigners who are constantly trying to do us over. I mean, just the whole thing mm. is just like... Um, a sort of subversion of alo alo, you know. Yes. I mean, unbelievable. And so I'd had no faith in how they'd handle it. And I remember just saying to Danny and David, look, I just... You know, this may not arise, and indeed it didn't. Sure. It didn't but I, I just I couldn't do it. So what he was kind say? of. So I think Cameron. So when when he then won, yeah, he, he had no alternative. Of course. Do you think now, he felt? Do you think he felt hidebound by it a bit? Or I th no. Or, or I, th I think, think, I, think he, I think it? he had decided. Uh, I mean, I heard, I've heard some people say, "Oh, you know, he had calculated they might have to do a deal with you, and you'd stop him doing it." Right. Uh, oh, God. I don't actually find I believe that. <laughs> it's I don't think he could. It's all very <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> By the way, yeah, cock up almost always is more yeah, is more true than conspiracy. Uh, I think in his case, he gave that commitment to the Bloomberg thing, uh, knowing that he'd have to do it if he wanted to basically carry on being leader of the Conservative Party. I, th I think I think it was as sort of visceral as that. Um, Fair enough. Uh, so, gone to his head, effectively, or, or well, well, ambition I'll as well. You, I'll tell you one thing, which did, did slightly. I mean, all these things are connected. I do think that, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I think the surprise result, if that's the way yes. to put it, of the Scottish referendum, yes, and then of course the surprise outcome of the 2015 general election, did kind of go to the head of the Tory high command. I think they kind of thought that they were political geniuses, yeah. and that they kind of understood politics better than anybody else. And you know, in as much as, uh, in as much as hubris is an ancient, you know, vice, we all suffer from it from time to time. I think that I think that I think Tory High Command did. I think the Scottish referendum, the surprise win in 2015, led them to think that it was going to be more of a breeze, the referendum, than, yes. it, than, it, than, it, than it. And of course, these people had never dealt with. I mean, I said this to them jokingly to Osborne and Cameron. They never dealt with, um, you know, 
these sort of unhinged, snarling characters like like Paul Dacre on the other side of the fence. They never, they never had to do battle with these people. No. They never had to do battle with the kind of right-wing press in full cry. So for them, it was just like, whoa. Well, even more so, they'd, they'd had the wind of the yes. right-wing press in their sails. Yes, so of course. To have it blowing the gale force. The yes, they always <laughs> had the attack dogs ready to be, yeah. ready to be let <laughs> off the leash the, at any point. This yeah. is the, I mean, just prior to Ed Miliband's father, dead father, yeah. being a traitor to the... I mean, there really is. And that's an early indication of where we were going, isn't mm, it, actually, mm. when the fear of Ed Miliband getting into that. Yeah, and then, and then, I mean, then if you, if, you, if you speak, if you must, if you can bear it to some of these folk, the, 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 the Leveson thing sort of yeah. dripped sort of poison into the relationship between politics, politics and the media. Yeah. Uh, and they, and they, I think they completely lost the plot, mm. completely lost the plot about what Leveson was about. It wasn't some draconian no. plan to, I mean, for heaven's sake, every single industry in this country has some form uh, of, has some form of yes. recourse and redress if things go wrong. But for some reason, they think that's, uh, you know, an infringement on their primitive liberties. Do you think fondly of David Cameron now? As a person? No, I, as a person, we always got on well. You I mean, seemed to get on particularly well in the early days. I mean, that, that, but that, that had the sort of I think it was a little overdone. I mean, because, because there was this sort of sun-dappled uh, press conference. Yeah, it was sun-dappled. Yeah, I know, but what I mean is was, yeah, the optics were great. <laughs> of course it was. It was. We were both very relieved. We, you know, yes. It's a knackering thing, by the way, general course, elections. Yes. And, then, and then we had, on top of that, when your whole body is aching just to go to sleep, we then had four or five days of, you know, no sleep and these endless uh, coalition negotiations. So there was a great sense of relief. And then it was like this new thing. Oh, mm. wow, right, right. Mm. So it's not two, it's not one person that had this government, it's two. And then the weather was nice and everyone was very cheerful. And there was a bit of, I think people slightly over, sure. over um, interpreted that. It, it was a pretty, it was, was and remained a pretty hard headed um, transaction, as it should do. We, we, we were not there to sort of be mates. No. Um, but no, he did, he, 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 you know, like most people, he had his bad sides, good sides, but um, he was easy to work with. Um, Who wasn't in that cabinet? <laughs> quite a lot of them. Oh, I'm sure, but... Well, I mean, our dear current Prime Minister yes. was, I mean, I mean, it was just agonising to try and get decisions out of her and her team. But she was strong and I mean, stable. I, I'm so amused by these um, sort of, you know, macho folk like Nick Timothy. I'd never... Barely knew what he looked like yeah. during government. Who's now sort of strutting around, thinking he's a terrible. He's never, as far as I can make out, one or four election right. in his life. Sort of terribly macho. But you know, he, her and her, her team were just notorious in Whitehall for just being congenitally incapable of making decisions. <laughs> and I remember I used to. And by the way, she was perfectly punctilious and polite and all the rest of it. Not 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 a bad or rude person, but just this curious either lack of confidence or lack of willingness to take decisions. And I, I just do think this... Well, that leads it, us neatly to Well, it's today, coming back to haunt us now. Isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. So you could have been the early... I mean, what did you think when you saw um, Paul Dacre's front page of Theresa May mocked up like a cross between Britannia and, and Margaret well, Thatcher with a strong and stable... I mean, you must have been sitting there... Yeah. Think, either you've missed something huge over yeah. the course of the five years of coalition yeah. government, or the country is now about to hop out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, uh, no, well, it was very obvious that that that, uh, and of course, it's interesting because because you know, given how um, d- sort of dismissive they are of their own opponents, I mean, it's important yes. to remember that Paul Dacre, a basically hand appointed, yes, <laughs> hand selected Theresa yeah. May, he, he ran the rule and, over Andrea Ledson, and then didn't he? Uh, exactly, yes. exactly, and basically, when he said it, it's Theresa, whatever that yeah. was, that was done and dusted, uh, then sought to confer upon her sort of 
mm. sort of Joan of Arc, Boudicca type qualities, which I instantly knew were just laughable. And anybody who knew anything. Do you think he knows that? I mean, well, we well but, the thing is, but the thing is, what's interesting is that, you know, he lost the election as well. Yes. I mean, that's the key thing to yes, remember. These people, are now, these people are losers. Yes. I hate to have to admit that, but they're, they're losers. They're not good at what they're doing. Mm. They're losing readers and, and they lost the election. So they don't have... You know, they losing don't, power. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's what they don't like. It's mm. like... Um, so they get angrier and it's more like, it's like uh, It's like wild animals around a disappearing waterhole. Yes. You know, the more the... The more and it receives, like the more the more yes. the waterline receives, the more vicious they get. Yes, and so it's going to get very, very vicious because you're it, it's it's that old order which is being threatened, and they'd used this perfectly decent, um, technocratically diligent, but relatively unimaginative politician in yes. Theresa May to deliver a revolution, an impossible and, revolution. And it's, well, she, yes. she's a she's a home counties Tory. Home counties Tories. Don't deliver Maoist revolutions, and 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 that's why she's and so in a sense I feel sorry for her because I think she's been she's been sort of hoisted onto this onto this sort of platform by the you know the Dakers yes. and all these Brexit the, the Brexit elite you know run our country and and then they, of course she can't sustain their hopes. The one bit where I'm more unforgiving of her is this: is that I. You know, I do kind of do have this old-fashioned belief that if you aspire to lead a party or a country or a government, it is kind of your job to be able to be big enough to take kind of the long view mm. and to see the wood from the trees and to kind of realise that you've got a kind of moral duty to the future, not just the present. For you. I mean, without getting mawkish, no, you know, I get it. your grandkids and the kids, yeah. not you. And I kind of think if you're a prime minister who's inherited this very, very finally divided referendum vote, just 650,000 votes in it. And crucially, if you as Prime Minister know that young voters overwhelmingly vote for something different, I kind of think at that point you've really got to just stop and think and say, right, how do I, how do I now move forward in a way which, is, which will stick and is sustainable and mm. can, can bring people together? And if she'd said, if she'd said on that day when, you know, after David Cameron has disappeared in a puff of smoke and she was standing on number 10, if she'd said, look, and I didn't, believe in the Brexit, but it's it's, gonna, it's happened and people have voted for it, if by a narrow margin, Brexit means Brexit, da-da-da. But if she'd gone on to say, but I'm really mindful of the fact that, you know, we're a divided country, yes. north, south, rich, poor, young and old, so, and I've got to act for the whole country, and that's why I'm going to do this now in a spirit of compromise. And I'm not going to throw the economic baby out with the bathwater. I'm not going to turn our backs on the great creation of my forebear... Margaret Thatcher, the single market. Yes. I'm going to disappoint tedious Ramonas like Nick Clegg who thinks we shouldn't leave at all. But, but I'm, I'm also, also going but to disappoint. But I'm also going to let my own... Yeah. Uh, my, do you know what? I don't know what you feel. I think, I of yeah. course would think, oh bugger, I wish we'd still stay in. But I I like to think I'd be fair enough to say, do you know what? Fair dues. That's, yes. that, is a, that is a statesperson-like response to this atom-splitting moment in our, British, in, our, in our public life. The bit I find and still found then and still find unforgivable unforgivable yes. in a mature democracy is that you basically say, I don't give a damn what half the voting public think. And crucially, I don't really give a damn at all what the people who have to inherit this mess feel, the young. And that's the bit, and that's driven by these 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 swivel-eyed, unrepresentative nutters like 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 uh, Dacre and others. And her they, fear of them. And their fear of them. And, and I reckon if she'd reached out, in a sense, to, to that middle ground, 
I reckon she would have quite quickly built up her own status and would have escaped this hapless position which she's in as a, as a hostage to these to these wholly unrepresentative yes. vested interests. Now, yes. they're powerful, they've got money and they've got newspapers, but they're unrepresentative. Because, you know, let me be clear, the British people left to their own device would never, no. ever vote for this hard right no, uh, of uh, vision not. of the no, future. Of course not. People speak of coups. I mean, uh, yes, it is. Well, it is. It's an ideological coup. Of course, it is. And, and it's an she's, ideological coup. She's, and, she, and she's the and she's the sort of, in a sense, she's the puppet on the end of their strings. Yeah. Um, it leads us neatly to your slim volume, "How to Stop Brexit." Uh, very readable. To, very, it is very readable. Um, is it still very plausible? I think so. Oh no, no, no. Let me be clear. It is. It is, of course, more likely. You know, if you're a betting person, yes. uh, that uh, some kind of you know, rubbish fudge will be will be inveigled through the House of Commons towards the end of this year, uh, and Brexit in some sort of hapless fashion will happen. But I think the chances of it not happening are actually a little bit higher than many people appreciate. So I think it's not the most likely outcome, but it is more possible than people think. For, for the reasons I don't, I don't think I need to yeah. rehearse to someone who's as articulate about this as you are. I mean, it's just it's just the just the fundamental contradictions. The brick wall that you keep coming up against surely has it, it, to break it, it, at some and, point. You know, at some point yes. you can't keep claiming you're going to have your cake and eat it when it is just not available. And 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 by the way, just to bring us right bang up to date, I don't know when this is coming out, but the, the news today is full of this leak about the internal Whitehall analysis. Yes. Of the, um, uh, you know, of the economic uh, yes. effects, which shows that under any scenario, Brexit leaves us worse off. Really interestingly, if you look at the, the fine print of the reporting, at least, according to this Whitehall analysis, so this is the government's own analysis, if you do trade deals with America, with China, with India, with Australia, with all these current countries, with the English-speaking world, it amounts to less in terms of benefit to us, to less than 1% of GDP. This, you know, the fundamental... Um, Delusion, and it is a delusion, is that there is this big, wide, swashbuckling, buccaneering, free trade world out there, and we have been prevented from participating. Yes. It is a, it is nonsense. Yes. And it's sometimes you kind of just have to believe that nonsense will be revealed for what it is. I, unless you have to do it to reveal it. That's that's the other possibility. Unless, what? unless you actually have to yeah. get there before you realise that the cupboard is empty. You're not going to be able to persuade people that the yeah. cupboard is empty before... They've gone over the line. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one other thing, which, which I'm sure you, you've. The other thing which has happened uh, in the wake of the referendum is that um, the fact of the referendum has lobotomized politics, because it, it, it it's it's um, it's really interesting. If you, I mean, I speak to lots of Conservative yes, Labour MPs, and they talk about public opinion yeah. now as if it's the weather. They yes. talk about public opinion might turn, and this might happen to public opinion. It's extraordinary, and you mm. say to them, but. Where is the belief in politics that you, you and, that you can try and persuade or cajole or lead public opinion? It's not something which you just sort of observe. but that, And that's extraordinary. So there's, there's been this catastrophic collapse in the, in the belief that there is such a thing as political leadership. Now, yes. listen, people will no doubt say, oh, yeah, well, Clegg, you know, he, he, he led Couldn't his, his troops. Well, maybe. But I still always try to lead. I always still yes. try to say, look, let's try and go that way. Maybe it was the wrong way. Maybe it was, didn't work. But this idea that you sit there and just wait... Yes. Well, do you know what you told us that, that, that speaks to that most directly is that notion that if, if, if there had been some form of 2015 coalition, you would have fallen on your sword if the party wanted to do it. You would, in a way. I mean, as it happens, I don't think the 
I don't think my party would have doesn't, wanted to do it. Doesn't anyway. matter. The fact that you'd had that conversation yeah. with Danny Alexander and David Laws and others, should, that, that's what you're describing is that sense of well, there must come a point where clinging on. Oh God, yeah. Isn't whereas Theresa May has become the embodiment of clinging on. Yeah. What I'm interested in, we're going to run short of time. Yeah. Is is her time now to be the recipient of the of the vituperation and the and the bile because it, it has to happen. Yeah, it the has revolutions to... eat themselves. Well, That's because what's going to happen. It's delusion management yeah. and you're left now really with Jacob Rees-Mogg somehow yeah. becoming the great king yeah. across the water because he's the only one left yeah. that hasn't had his yeah. rhetoric exactly. redefined by reality. Exactly. And so what, what you get, and w- uh, which is in a sense why, in a sense maybe people like me are just are very much of the past is that you know what I mean by this is let me be quite precise it's yes. not as self-serving as it sounds <laughs> um, you have a natural I think um, drift towards what I'd call cartoon politics mm. because the the, the, the the zealots have to double up on their Ooh. on their zeal right you have to find the next bunch of people who betrayed you mm. so you know I I mm. was the person who apparently betrayed the left, so they go nuts. Now the right feel they're betrayed by civil servants or by judges, yeah. or of course by foreigners. Yes. Um, and so it goes on. So it's this insatiable need to bl- to displace any responsibility. So responsibility goes out of the window, right? And 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 it, and it, and it's the, it really is this almost quasi Maoist belief that if you just keep persisting mm. with a long march, as long as you slay enough. Um, people who should take the blame on the way, then eventually utopia will beckon, and that's why. And who, who, who thrives in an environment? Like that? Well, of course, cartoon characters. Yes. Yes. I don't know Reese Mogg. I'm probably sure he's a perfectly nice bloke, but he's a cartoon politician. Of course, it's, uh, replete with this yes, yes, double-breasted yes. pinstripe. It's, it's this, Boris Johnson squared, isn't it? Yeah, really, and, is and, and, and exactly, and it'll go. And exactly, Boris Johnson will soon yes. appear like a character of great subtlety yes, 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 <laughs> uh, yes. and in, and integrity and honesty and consistency. I mean, so this is the problem: is that. And I do actually think, without ending on an unduly gloomy note, it, <laughs> it is the biggest thing that worries me of all, which is that as we see this churning kind of rage, my question constantly is, where does the rage go next? You know, where, what happens in Rust Belt America when they mm. discover that a, a Mexican wall does not suddenly restore Make all the jobs rich. to the yeah. steel town? What happens in parts of the Northeast, Northwest, who quite rightly feel abandoned by the status quo mm. when they discover that Brexit... Is not you know does not deliver a, a is not a walk in the park. They're not all. I'm afraid suddenly mm. going to become reasonable um, on the one hand, on the other, Lib Dems or Democrats. No. The, the, so that's the that's the worry. And so you have to kind of and now look. That's why what's going on in France and it's so important because there you're seeing an experiment. And at the moment, it's nothing more than an experiment in Macron's hands of trying to kind of break the populist cycle. Um, abruptly and radically, with it. And, uh, and so a lot hinges on on whether he, you know he succeeds. I think because uh, if he doesn't, and actually that's just a sort of interlude before Le Pen does take up the reins. I, so there's a lot in the balance now, to put it mildly. <laughs> Which is a neat point to uh, draw a line under this. Nick thank Clegg, you. thank you so much. Thank you. And it's time now for the customary post-match analysis with Unfiltered's producer uh, Rich. Um, I, I enjoyed that, but it was meaty, I think. Was it too meaty? I don't think it was too meaty. I think, well, look, you've got, we had the deputy, former deputy prime minister. That's what on, I kept like, reminding myself when I thought I wasn't getting enough. Yeah, I mean, you've got to... I, I he don't was say, there, and he was in the passenger seat of the car. Well, he was on the deck of the, of the, of the ship as it sailed yeah. for five years into the political climate that we're struggling with now. Yeah, I don't want to say just, you know, wind him up and let him go, but, no. I mean, 
you did well sort of getting out of the way of just letting him good uh, you know communicate his experiences about that time yes. um and he's, he's quite funny as well actually he is quite funny very human <laughs> i mean i got completely back to i think it was pretty much the first question we asked was mm. a reminder of the i agree with nick you, you, you're quite a lot younger than me so we're mm. going back eight years and it was the the, the you know the Prime Minister's debates where Gordon Brown and David Cameron spent most of their time saying, I agree with Nick. And it was, it was a lovely starting point. And then to end on a personal level, understanding why. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there is a real um, warmth to him. Actually. Absolutely, yeah. And for people my age, I was I was 20 when that election yeah. was on. So I was at university and I was very much the kind of sort of demographic he was targeting. You know, he wanted to speak to people like me and he did. You know, you mentioned the, the debates, like... I'm sure you remember, like he was the first one that looked down the lens at the camera at the audience rather than just talking, you know, generally. Yeah, I thought he was fascinating. Do you feel personally betrayed by him when the when the <clears throat> tuition fees thing kicked in? Mm, I think there was a time where I probably would have felt betrayed like that, but I think that it, to some degree your hands are tied, really, yeah. aren't you? You know, you're the minority party in a coalition. And if they're not going to budge on it, there's not much you can do about it. Give and take. You um, can walk away. But as you said, I thought that was really interesting. I don't know whether that was a slip of the tongue when he told us that Mervyn King, who was governor of the Bank of England mm. at the time, was ringing him up, telling him to form a government because the instability that would have ensued if he hadn't would would, would have obviously been quite considerable. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if that's why you get into government to stop things collapsing, even if that means you have to break your campaign promises... Seems legit. Seems legit, as your generation say, doesn't it? You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe.